Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. It is indeed my privilege to be here with you today. I really love this church, and I love when I have the opportunity to come and commune with you and share with you some things that God has put on my heart. So um, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, And even more fun for me was Kyle said, actually, Heidi, we ended our series last week, and we don't start a new one until next week, so you can preach on whatever you want. I was like, that's like sending a kid into a candy store, giving him 25 bucks and saying, go at it. You know, get whatever you want. So today we're going to talk about the anthropological ramifications of social media on spiritual development in the Western civilization. (laughs) Totally messing with you. (laughs) But our topic today is no less uh, cumbersome in some ways. But it's super real, because our topic today is one that I get asked questions about every week. As a pastor, as a therapist, um, people constantly have questions for me because they struggle with this component of their lives, especially as it relates to their spiritual life with God. So our topic today is emotions. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you showed up? (laughs) I'm front-loading you a little bit because some of you are going to be like, really? I got out of bed for this. And others of you know that you desperately need some help. I, I know a lot of you didn't grow up in church. I grew up in church, and the only things I ever really heard about emotions were, don't worry and don't be angry. But if you have to be angry, don't sin. It was like super helpful. Like, what what am I supposed to do with that? And people do um, struggle with their emotions. And in this sermon, all we can do is scratch the surface because it's a pretty complicated topic. So I hope that you will take one thing away with you today. Um, As a therapist, I've spent a lot of time having to think about emotion because the people who come into my office, no matter what their presenting issue is, whether they're having relationship struggles, whether they're anxious, whether they're depressed, whether they're addicted, the emotional component of their life is tangled into all the issues that they bring into my office. The struggle is real. So does God have anything to say about our emotional life? Is our emotional life supposed to be this separate, mysterious, just human element of life and not part of our life with God? What does the Bible have to say about emotion? And I think the Bible has a lot to say about it. And so here's our big idea today. Our big idea is your emotional life is meant to be part of your spiritual journey with God. 
It is not meant to be this separate thing that you keep over here and just try to manage. It It is intended to be part of how you are formed in Christ by bringing your emotional component of your life into your life with God. So to get where I hope to go today, we have to agree on two foundational thoughts. The first is we're emotional beings. Regardless of your personality, your gender, your Enneagram number, your strengths finder, your ethnicity, your upbringing, we are emotional beings. We were made and wired to feel. Now, maybe for you that's kind of like, well, duh. But for other people, that's a super uncomfortable admission. So I'm going to make us admit it together today. I'm going to say it, then you're going to say it. I'm an emotional being. You should see the view from up here. (laughs) Some of you, man, it's like your red badge of courage. You know, you just own that. Others of you are like, I'm not saying that. But the truth is, we are emotional beings. There's this great scene in Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. And the three main characters, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, are sitting, talking about another one of their classmates. And Hermione is trying to explain to Ron and Harry what's going on with this girl. And she's like, well, she feels this because of this, and she feels this because of this, and she feels this, and then she, has, she feels this. And, and Ron goes, no, one person could have all of those experiences. At the same time, they'd explode. To which Hermione responds, just because you have the emotional range of a teaspoon. So here, some of you are teaspoons. It's just how you're made. Some of you are soup ladles. Right? You feel everything. Now, regardless of whether you're a teaspoon or soup ladle, You have an emotional component to your life that's very real. That's our first foundational thought. The second foundational thought is, and that emotional component of your life is God-given. How do I know? Well, you were made in the image of God. And God, while spirit, is also volitional. That means he makes choices. Relational, right? He wants to be in relationship with us. And emotional, God describes himself as having emotional states of being. God is angry. God longs. God is joyful. God can be sorrowful. And if you're not sure of that, then let's look to Jesus. Because we should always, 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 always look to Jesus. The Bible tells us that he's the exact representation of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, Look at Christ. And what we see in the life of Christ is that Jesus has a lot of emotions. We see him cry a lot. We see him angry. We see him sorrowful. We see him intense. We see him sarcastic. We see him blessing people with joy. Jesus expressed a lot of emotions and did so without any sin. So we are emotional beings, and our emotions are God-given. The problem for so many of us is that our emotions are messy, and we don't like mess. They're powerful, and we're not sure always what to do with them. Furthermore, we've been given confusing messages about our emotions. 
So culturally speaking, there's this whole end of the spectrum that we're going to call boundarylessness. This is um, you do you, boo. Your feelings are the truest thing about you. Uh, your feelings are king. Let them rule and reign. Have all your feelings, feel all your feelings, express all your feelings. On this end of the spectrum, emotional expression is an end unto itself. And here, emotions create and direct reality, and, and they're meant to be sort of the end-all, be-all. Over here, we'll have what we call basements. You know, basements are where you throw things you don't want to deal with. It's also where serial killers keep their trophies. So basements. We have basements. Here, it's like cap it, stuff it, don't feel it, deny it, avoid it. And if you can't avoid it, for heaven's sake, clean it up. Remember that Miranda Lambert song a couple of years ago, This Ain't My Mama's Broken Heart? You know, it says, hide your crazy. Start acting like a lady. You got to keep it together even if you're falling apart. Like, clean that stuff up. Throw it in the basement. On this end of the spectrum, feelings are dangerous and useless. They're seen kind of as a waste of time, not a necessary component of life. So we have these two cultural messages that we're given, but we also experience these same kinds of dynamics in our families. Right? There are some emotions in my family that were acceptable. You can be angry, but you can't cry. You can't be disrespectful, but you can be passive-aggressive. Right? Confusing emotions. How many of you remember being sent to your room when you were crying, told, like, go cry it out and come back when you're ready to be calm? Right? Go take that thing to the basement and come back. Right? We get these confusing messages from our families as well. One, one client I worked with, um, she came to me as an adult, and uh, she grew up in a family where one parent was what we call super reasonable. So things only existed here up. Had to be reasonable, logical, rational. No real emotional expression or engagement. The other parent, you can guess, right, was emotionally explosive, given to fits of crying and sadness and rage. And so when she lands in my office, she's a mess because part of her is completely unable to access any feeling whatsoever. It's just devoid. But then she finds herself going into these really big mood swings with all of these emotions and she doesn't know how to manage it. It's a real struggle for a lot of people. And then if we add onto all of those layers, what happens sometimes in our faith communities and our churches, we have a whole other set of dynamics to deal with. Because there are messages that happen in churches um, that also confuse us. So on this boundarylessness, right, this is um, going after experiences with God, not grounded really in belief. And on this end, it says, if I don't feel it, I can't believe it. So it's always pursuing the experience of God. And what will happen is my experience will limit my belief. But over here, 
if emotion is unnecessary, dangerous, and not to be put in the basement, then my belief will limit my experience of God. Because God calls us to both. You see, there's, there's a middle way. And that middle way is the way of wisdom. That middle way is the way of Jesus. We see in Isaiah 1.18, God says, come, let us reason together. Okay, let's talk it through. Let's be logical. Let's think it through. Let's reason together. And then in Psalm 34, he says, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Both, both elements coming into our relationship with God. That's the way of Jesus. So what does it look like to try to live that way where I come and reason with God, but I also can bring all of my feelings and know what to do with that? Well, I think we see a pretty clear pattern, especially in the wisdom literature in the scriptures. So the wisdom literature is the, the Psalms, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, Job. And there's a pattern that we see, and it goes like this. Tell the truth. Plant the truth. Know the truth. So say, tell the truth. That's our starting place, is to tell the truth. And we're going to look primarily at the Psalms today. So if, you, if you're not familiar with the book of Psalms, it's kind of almost in the middle of your Bible, and it is filled with songs of thanksgiving and praise. It is also filled with psalms of lament. And lament means all of that sorrow, all of that angst, all of that emotion. And in case you didn't know, the psalms of lament make up the majority of the book of Psalms. What does that say to you? Right? Our emotions matter to God. And so as we look at the Psalms of Lament, um, we're only going to grab a couple. I really encourage you to go and look on your own. You, you might actually find some things that you're like, I felt that way Thursday. Right? So let's look at Psalm 77 to start with. I'm not going to read the entire psalm. I'm just going to pull out portions to give you a sense of it. Psalm 77, I cry out to God, oh, that God would listen to me. I was in deep trouble. I prayed all night long, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan. I'm too distressed even to pray. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never be kind to me? I guess this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. And that, that's pretty raw. That's pretty honest. That's got a level of intensity to it, right? Look at Psalm 13. How lo long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Turn to me and answer me, God. Restore the light in my eyes or I am seriously going to die. Right? These are raw, honest outpourings of emotion. And then there are some other psalms included in the Psalms of Lament. They get a little bit dicey, I got to tell you, like criminal minds kind of things. So Psalm 109 
David wants God to destroy his enemy, so he feels free to list 30 creative, vivid ways that God could do it. I mean, it's pretty intense. We're not going to look at that one today because it's way too long, but we're going to look at Psalm 3. Psalm 3 says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. Okay, don't miss it. Do you hear what he's saying? Get up already, God. Punch those people in the face and knock their teeth out. I mean, what are we supposed to do? It's in the Bible. What are we supposed to do with such intensity? That's incredible. Well, anytime we come to the scriptures, the first question we should ask is, what does this teach me about God? Not what does this teach me about David? What what does this teach me about God? The fact that these kinds of things live in the scriptures, what does that teach me about God? Well, the first thing I think it teaches us is that God wants us to tell the truth. This isn't just venting. This isn't just vomiting, right, all over someone. This is coming into the presence of God. David is saying, I am desperate here. I am so mad. I am so alone. I feel so rejected. He is telling the truth to God of the actual story that's going on in his heart. God wants us to tell the truth. And I want you to know that, notice that God doesn't reject David. God doesn't wag his finger with Miranda Lambert and say, pull it together, dude. Like, God accepts the outpouring, which tells us a second thing about God. The well of his grace is deeper than we can ever, ever get to the bottom of. Right? That God, that God is providing a safe space for us to bring all of ourselves, all of the hot mess that I am, into his presence. Because here's the thing. God's invitation to us is always to come. Just come. In the Garden of Eden, it was come walk with me. To Abraham, it was, come outside, let's look at the night sky, count the stars, and talk about my vision for your life. In the scripture we just read, come, let us reason. The other one about taste and see the Lord is good ends with, so come, children. Jesus says, come and follow me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden to an outcast who is afflicted with a disease, he says, come closer. And in Hebrews it says, come into the throne room of grace with confidence. You'll receive mercy. The invitation is always to come. Come tell the truth of what's going on with you because my grace is deep enough to hold all of it. God gives us a safe space to bring ourselves to him. Does anybody buy Kleenex at Trader Joe's? 
Okay, you will after this, I promise. This is the best Kleenex box in the whole world because there are little messages on each side. I'm going to read them to you. I'm there when you're sad. Love tissue. I'm there when you need to pick up icky things. Kindly tissue. I'm there when you're sick. Feel better tissue. I'm there when you run out of toilet paper. You're welcome, tissue. <laughs> but then on the top, it says this. Whatever you do, please don't leave me in your pocket when you do the laundry. <laughs> it's a really silly, lighthearted way to say, that's what God is saying to you. I'm in for it. I'm up for it. I'm down for it. I'm present for it. Just don't leave me in your pocket. Just bring it all. Just bring it all to me. I used to work in an inpatient eating disorder unit, and these women were killing themselves by their eating disordered behavior to the degree that their families hospitalized them. And um, there was this one patient in particular that she and I just made a connection, and she was one of our more um, intensely ill women. But we made a connection. But no matter what we tried, I could not get her to stop purging. Multiple times a day, this woman had to purge. And so I finally just took a step back and then said to her, you know what, you clearly need this still. And so I'm not going to ask you anymore to stop. All I'm going to ask you to do is let me be with you the next time you do it. And she was not sure about that. But I said, I'll, I'll hold your ponytail so your hair doesn't get in the gunk, and I'll pat the back of your neck with a wet cloth, just... Just let me be with you. And so she did. And so I did. And I held her hair. I rubbed her back. I put a cold cloth on her neck. And I said, I'm sorry that you have to hurt yourself in this way. And I want you to know it shifted things. There was so much shame and sorrow and rage all wrapped around what she was doing and why she was doing it that simply just letting me be in her presence when she was engaging it started to unloose something. And eventually, we were able to get her on the road to recovery. God just wants you to let him be in it with you. Tell the truth and trust his grace because that's the thing, you see. Can you see how much trust it took from her to, to let me sit there with her while she threw her guts up? Well, when you pour your heart out to God, it is an act of trust. I'm going to say that again. I want you to hear it. If it's the only thing you take home, that's good. It is not weakness. It is not immaturity. It's not because you haven't grown to the right point. When you pour your heart out to God, it is an act of trust that God receives. Tell the truth. That's what God is asking us to do. It's exactly what we see Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. In case you're maybe a little new to the faith journey, you're not sure what the Garden of Gethsemane is. When Jesus was getting ready to head to the cross, 
to accomplish our salvation. He stopped at this one place that was special to he and his disciples so that he could pray. But Jesus wasn't just praying, Jesus was ugly crying. This was like a very intense moment in Jesus' life. It says that my, Jesus said, my soul is in anguish to the point of death. And the scripture talks about how it was so intense that he actually sweated drops of blood. Now, I need you to pull back and think about this for a minute. Jesus knew the plan about going to the cross. Jesus planned the plan about going to cross. Jesus was totally down for the plan of going to the cross to save us. And yet, in his humanity, he was wrestling. He was struggling. The God-man who was without sin. So this wrestling and struggling cannot be sin. Right? But he trusted his father enough to bring all of that into the presence of God. That ought to convince us that our emotions are God-given and God wants to hear them. And then the remarkable thing happens. Once Jesus does that, once Jesus wrestles it out with his father, trusts God enough to bring all that's actually happening in his heart, what happens? He gets up and obeys and goes to the cross, and therefore we are saved. I mean, that's remarkable. And I want you to know, similarly, when we trust God and bring ourselves into his presence with all that's going on with us, when we do that, sometimes we need another person who sort of represents Jesus with skin on, right? That we're pouring our hearts out to do. Two, when we pour our hearts out in a safe space, here's what happens physiologically and emotionally, right? The DEFCON level internally starts to come down. My central nervous system starts to calm down. I'm not just stuck in the loop of my emotions from my limbic system. My prefrontal cortex comes back online, and now I can feel and think and then choose. So when in the safety of a relationship where there's trust, we bring all of ourselves to the table and say the truth of what's going on, face it ourselves in the presence of a trusting person, then suddenly we get some space to think about what we feel. So for me, often it looks like this. Oh, I thought I was really angry. I just spent a bunch of time writing in my journal about how angry I am. But the truth is, I'm hurt. And actually, under the hurt, I'm scared. But that awareness only comes when I face the story going on in my heart. Because then I'm able to pull back and think about what I feel. We first, we tell the truth. Because that allows us to enter into the next phase and that is to plant the truth because God does this remarkable thing when we tell the truth. Look at Psalm 126. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. When we tell the truth, it's as if we are 
planting our tears in the soil of trust. And then God takes those seeds and somehow turns them into songs of joy. Okay, people, that should blow your mind a little bit. I mean, that's amazing. Who but God would let me bring the hot mess of all that I am and turn it into something of faith? But that's what that scripture is saying. If we sow our tears in the soil of trust with God, then God will cause those to grow into fruit. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit like living in the peace that God has promised us. Right? So first of all, we tell the truth and then we plant the truth. Say plant the truth. That's right. So you can cry your tears, you can vent your tears, you can vomit all over social media, you can kick the dog, you can stuff your tears, you can shame your tears, you can deny your experiences, but neither of those will grow your faith. Neither of those approaches will lead you toward wholeness. But if you choose to tell the truth, you are planting seeds that God, in the only way God could, grows those into roots of faith so that your life bears fruit. That's why our big idea today is your emotional life is meant to be part of your life with God. Right? We tell the truth, we plant the truth, and then what happens is we know the truth. Right? You, you all get that there's two different kinds of knowing. There's knowing, and there's knowing. Right? Faith requires both. For faith to be deeply rooted enough that we're going to stand in the storms of life and not be tossed about by our emotions, or not just have lifeless mantras that really don't get us through the dark nights, then we need a faith that is rooted And when we tell the truth, then we plant the truth and we can come to know the truth deep, deep, deep within. Let's go back to Psalm 77 where we started. Remember, this is a psalm where David says, you know, God's not listening to me. I'm too distressed to pray. He's totally rejected me and turned his hand against me. Look at how the psalm ends. But then I recall all you have done, Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeem your people. Now either David is bipolar or something happened in the middle. What happened in the middle was he told the truth and that truth was planted and turns into seeds of faith. Because when you read the Psalms, David's praise is as impassioned as the outpourings of his angst. You don't get a sense that you're reading this going, okay, so um, let's see, I'll try to recall your deeds and I'll tell you that you're mighty. 
And um, let's see what else, right? No, it's pouring out of him. Just like it did when he said, where are you? Are you ever going to help me? His love and praise is pouring out with the same kind of intensity. Look at Psalm 13. This is the one where he says, am I going to struggle all the time, crying myself to sleep? If you don't answer me, God, I'm going to die. It ends this way. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. When you tell the truth, you plant seeds in the soil of trust and God grows roots to those seeds so that you can know that you know that you know that you know that he is good. This is the path to emotional health. Eugene Peterson says something like this, every honest prayer will eventually turn into praise. Do you see the pattern, how important it is? If we try to just start with the end of the psalm, it will be lifeless mantras. There'll be things we believe here, but as soon as the waves come and the storms come, we're going to be grappling, we're going to be struggling We're not going to be deeply rooted. And if we just vomit all over everything, just then our our faith is just going to be tossed about by the wind. But if we tell the truth, we plant the truth, and then we can know the truth deep within. Let me just remind you that the invitation is to come, all of you, all parts of you, to come, because when you do, in an act of trust, God, in the way that only he can, turns that into deep faith in your life. Would you pray with me? You know, Lord, this, um, these truths just always cause me to feel such awe of who you are. And not only would you receive the hot mess that I am, but that you would take that and turn it into faith, Lord, so that I might know you and who you really are, so that I might not just sing songs with lovely words, but they would be proclamations of what I have come to know to be true because I have been met with your grace in the ugly, hardest parts of what I'm struggling with. Lord, you are so good. It's unimaginable. And that well of your grace is so deep. And so we just say thank you. Lord, would you seal whatever message it was that you had for this group of people? Would you just seal that in their hearts today so that they would walk away with something that draws them ever deeper into your grace, Lord? And we just close by saying, Jesus, we love you. Amen.